0: Want to get your child involved with cooking? We explore children and cooking and eating. It's on tip of the tongue. To tip of the tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Jenny Merrill. She's the director of education at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Welcome, Jenny. Hi. Thanks so much for
1: having me, Liz.
0: Well, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about kids today and kids, and food. So first, tell me, were you a child who was a
1: picky eater, or did you always love everything? I think I fell a little bit in between those spectrums. I was definitely interested in trying a lot of things, but there were certain foods that I was very particular about. Like Um, what? um, Peas being the big one. You know, and it... It's such a generational question, I think, too. You know, like looking at the kids that I teach today, I mean, they have access to restaurants that growing up in the middle of Nebraska were not even present. So there was no sushi, you know, there was no banh mi, you know, we didn't have access to arepas, you know. It was very middle of America. Meat and potatoes. 100%. And those are still my favorite things, to be (laughs) fair. (laughs) But, you know, so I didn't get exposed to a lot of those things. I kind of had to choose them. And also, you know, my mom grew up in cooking as a backlash to her mother, and I'm growing up cooking as a backlash to my mother in a way. You know, her mom stewed the bejesus out of everything and canned everything, and she still won't eat asparagus because of what her mom did to asparagus <laughs> so so sad but then my mom you know kind of responded to that with the frozen food movement that she grew up in and so like when we had peas they were coming from a bag so you know what happens to peas sometimes when they're frozen the the husk of the pea is like really kind of chewy and and it changes the like actual texture of the pea So it makes it, to me, unpleasant. Now, if I have a pea out of a can, ironically, (laughs) I like it a lot better, or fresh pea. But, um, yeah.
0: Well, my father would only eat canned spinach, because that's what he grew up eating. And so if you put fresh spinach in a salad, or even cooked fresh spinach, he wouldn't eat it, because he thought it was terrible. So I I totally know what you're talking about. You just grow up with certain certain things that either remind you of your childhood or just set your taste.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of like I also grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household. And so we had a lot of pastor's kids around and the PK, as we called them, you always knew they were either going to go like straight into religion or they were going to go straight to, you know, dark side. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I feel like that's how we can react with food, too, where Mm -hmm. it's like, you know. We either follow our parents very closely and or we, you know, kind of rebel against it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So now that you're here working Mm -hmm. at the
0: museum with kids, I'm really interested first, now that we're also in this pandemic and not everybody is able to move about and gather the way we used to. I'm really interested in the Facebook live programming that you're doing. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so the the Facebook Live virtual SoFab Kids virtual classes essentially are every other Wednesday, and it is every Wednesday Central Time at four, and we do it on Facebook Live and Zoom, and then they're kind of loosely themed each month, either seasonally along those things. But the the core point is that they're free, and. One of the things that we learned during the pandemic is, you know, especially being a nonprofit and a museum, the core principle of what our mission is, is we need to get this to kids. We need to reach kids. And if kids are in a situation where they're at home and they're not using the utensils or the um, appliances and equipment that we have here, well, they might not have that at home. So all of the recipes use pretty minimal ingredients Mostly stuff you would have in your pantry. I think one of the biggest appliances we mu- use is like a hand mixer um, or you could use like a,
0: you know, oh, a kitchen, k- aid, kitchen aid, something yeah. like
1: that. But yeah, so they're all more tactile mm-hmm. things and, and pretty pretty simple. So are they cook-along types of things? Mm, yes. So basically what will happen is, you know, we post the recipe and we have all the recipes already laid out. Um, and then they can access that, go get the groceries ahead of time. So tell me about one of the ones you've already Great. done. Yeah. Um, let's see. So yesterday we did a uh, pumpkin cranberry muffins. So that actually had a little bit longer of an ingredient list, but the, the technique was very simple. So, you know, We put out the ingredient list and then let everybody, reminded everyone it was at four o'clock. You could either do the Zoom, which gives you the chat function. You know, it's a lot more interaction. You can do more on that template. And you could also join from Facebook Live where you would just see the stream from Zoom, but you could also comment and cook along. So the point is, you know, I'm there and it's a live class. So you can ask questions similar to if we were in person. It's not pre-recorded. You know, you can go in and just cook along and say you have a snafu, like your butter isn't melted, you know, or you didn't get the white of an egg. You got some some yolk in it. What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, you can ask and we just like have time where we can, you know, go back and forth and then also talk with the kids during some of those like chill times when things are cooking and say like, well, hey, what's your favorite? You know, get them to participate and have, uh, you know. Well, that must give you some good ideas, too, for what to do next
0: on another on another show. If somebody brings up something that might be fun.
1: Yeah, we did wontons. We did crab rangoon, which is one of my absolute favorite things. And it's something that I think a lot of kids have enjoyed on, you know, a Chinese menu. Um, because it's cream cheese <laughs> and fried, um, and probably why I like it too. Um, but there was one of the kids who was like, Oh, we're making buffalo chicken crab rangoon or buffalo chicken rangoon. And I was like, Heck yes, that's a great idea. Why not? And actually, when I did the pumpkin muffin class yesterday, you know, I just used a regular muffin tin. And then somebody asked early on, Well, what would the cooking time be for mini muffins? And I was like, oh, my gosh, significantly less. Hold on a second. And then I went and got the mini muffin tin. I was like, that's what I should have done in the very beginning. <laughs> we should have done mini muffins because it's a difference between 10 minutes to 20 minutes of cook time. So, yeah, so we did. Well, it's great that you're that flexible that you were able to say, okay,
0: let's do that instead because – 20 minutes is a really really twice as
1: long to wait yes I know well and you have to teach them kind of how to like you know even check if it's done and of course if it's not done on your side who cares you know like but when you're doing it live it does it matter it does matter
0: a lot. yeah absolutely yeah oh that's that that sounds like fun and so if you want to watch it on Facebook live you can go to Southern Food and Beverage Museum. That's
1: the yeah. Facebook.
0: Um, that's the Facebook yep. name. Yeah, you okay. would just type
1: in Southern Food and Beverage Museum. And actually, you know, like I know that this sounds like such a pitch, like like Southern Food and Beverage Museum. But the one good thing is like there's there's two really good ways to get that information, right? Like one is you can sign up for the kids newsletter, and then you know all of the dates. But also you get um, just a pop up that says when they're going live. So say you got it, you you know, you're doing laundry or you're like trying to get this work project done. You're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Let's, let's get you in front. Let's get the kitchen ready. Let's, you know, um, Me's and plus this, and like, let's get going. So, and so, if you
0: wanted to sign up for the newsletter, the kids' newsletter, mm-hmm. how do you do that?
1: You can just go on our website, yeah, southernfood.org, and then you can go to the education tab at the top. And um, that's just a whole list of all the educational stuff that we have to offer, including internships and fellowships, and, and especially the kids' programming, which will lead you to in person classes, virtual classes. And actually a lot of YouTube cooking classes that I started doing during quarantine as a way to just get what we do out there. So I know
0: that you had in-person camp this summer. (laughs) So I really want to talk to you about that because, you know, everything was shut down, Mm -hmm. schools were closed, um, and I, I, I know that there was a lot of planning that had to go into it and... We, I would do also want to say that you're in Louisiana, so you had a little bit more flexibility than other states that wouldn't have allowed something like this mm. to take place. But you really had a good track record. Nobody got sick. No. We had no outbreaks or anything like that. And so tell us what you
1: did. Yeah, that was a wild time. And looking back on it, you know, like the year before actually was really wild because we had a lot of flooding During, um, so two years ago during camp, we had a lot of flooding, which kind of derailed what camp was doing. And I was like, there is nothing that can compare to that year and what it was like missing staff members having to leave, you know, go back from their internships. Um, no air conditioning, no internet, you know, and I thought that was the apex of challenge. Little did I know what 2020 (laughs) had in store for us. Um, no, you know, so... But the nice thing is, is I kind of knew going into this, but it is when we're thinking about the pandemic. And I wish I journaled more during this time because I feel like you had so much time. I <laughs> should have just been journaling all the time, just journaling all the time with everything that, you know, all the things. Yeah. No, um, no, I didn't journal uh, basically at all. But um, one of the things that's tricky to remember is the nuance of each of the months during uh during the pandemic. So, you know, when May was coming around and even April, like a lot of my colleagues were canceling their camp or they were trying to cobble together. And virtual by camps. colleagues,
0: you mean people at other museums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and I was pretty against doing virtual programming. I wanted to do in person so badly. I wanted to do it as much as possible. Um, I knew what you know, I'd sent out parent surveys and uh, the response was pretty overwhelming, like in person or none at all, like we are not looking to do anything in front of a screen again. So with that being said, I kind of got on that team and I'm like, okay, then if we're doing it in person, we have to do so much prep. And it changed virtually the whole way that camp was laid out. Um, I had some interns who were really, really lovely, but they could only stay for a certain amount of time. And I think as our cases were increasing in the state again um you know they they didn't want to be here for it so finding staffing to replace them was a challenge um you know making sure that kids who had basically been quarantined at home either by themselves or with a very small group um were wearing masks when they hadn't done it at all you know like they hadn't gone to school yet this hadn't been ma- actually masks weren't mandatory in the state and so we were making masks mandatory. Um, the amount of, I basically lived at care supply during, <laughs> during the summer. I was going every day for gloves. I mean, we were, we always have them wash their hands to the, like a million times. And this time was even more, but we changed the structure of camp a little bit. So normally we have 30 kids. Um, this year we had one week had 19, but we were sitting at about 15 kids for most of camp. And, um, And we also changed the way they did it. Normally, they would go through stations. So say we're doing spaghetti and meatballs. One group would be rolling out the pasta. One group would be making the meatballs. And another group would make the sauce. And then they would rotate physically to the different stations every, say, 20 minutes. Well, we couldn't do that because then, you know, every kid is touching the same knives that the kids before them had left. And that, so we had to basically put them into pods in the kitchen where they were making everything at their table. So at their very table, they were making the noodles, then the.
0: And did you create pods that were the permanent pods for this, for the whole session? Or did that happen every day, or were they different pods?
1: Yeah, so it was the whole session, Um, and and for the most part, you know, like, I took in who they wanted to sit with, family members, sometimes family members that shouldn't sit together, you know, (laughs) I asked the parents (laughs) ahead of time, listen, here's how many kids are going to be at a table, you tell me who's going to be at this table, if it's too many, I'm going to have to separate them, you know, and they'll see each other there during games, but you know, in order to keep with compliance, we had to keep them pretty separated so we could get as much of that, you know, kind of six feet distance as possible, um, which was really tricky. But um there was they were still playing, you know, and they still at the end of it thinking like they had a blast, you know, like I don't look back at the summer and think, man, mass really took out a whole bunch of joy, you know, or this kid didn't learn to cook because they were wearing gloves the whole time, you know, like that. Those that ones, didn't happen. No, like they don't even register. Like it, and it went so well, and um, the response was incredible. Yeah, so that's
0: that's heartening. Yeah. And also, these kids were probably so tired of being isolated. That yeah, any kind of social contact was really thrilling. <laughs> I know. We, yeah,
1: we had a we had a couple um, of folks in our in our more teen group. So we have most of our sessions are seven to eleven year olds, but we had two sessions that were 11 to 15 year olds. And the first one um, we had this best friend. They, they have a little pod that has come to camp ever since they were seven and now they're in the older group. Oh, wow. And, um, and so two of them kind of tenuously came. Parents had shot me emails ahead of time, like what's going to happen. It was the very first time they'd seen a friend all quarantine since March. And they saw each other end of, June? yeah end of June and they hadn't seen a single you know other friend anyone but their family you know and it was camp where they actually like it so it was huge it was huge for them and I
0: I really commend you that we really did not have an outbreak oh yeah and everybody was comporting themselves as well as could be expected Mm -hmm. and i think they had fun at the same time and learned a whole lot so i just think it's great
1: yeah it ended up being we did have one family where they um they were like listen dad got got diagnosed with covid so they found out early enough they pulled their kids Mm -hmm. um and and that thank goodness but i think that we almost hit this sweet spot in a weird way where a lot of the kids this was really their first thing and then you know that they'd done, and um... so they'd been in quarantine mm-hmm. and and
0: isolation. So and so had we, you yes, know. Yes. Uh-huh. Um.
1: So yeah. So if, if I'm. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad it went really, really well, and it was a really wonderful summer. In the end, man, I love 15 kids compared to 32. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs>
0: oh goodness. Well, so now also. Tell us a little bit about the Saturday classes and Mm -hmm. some of the master classes that you've planned, things that you've done in the past, and what you're looking forward to.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we normally have, the majority of our in-person classes during the school year is called Kids in the Kitchen. And um, it started off only 7 to 11-year-olds, and then as my 7 to 11-year-olds were aging, Aging, um and still interested in cooking it didn't stop them from that they uh we needed something else so master classes was our response to that and that's 11 to 15 year olds again um but it's much smaller class size a little bit more technical and it's usually led by people who are more accomplished in the field you know so i i'm a generalist right you know so a 7 to 11 year old group can handle a generalist but a 7 or an 11 to 15 year old like If they're coming for a baking class, they want someone who can answer their questions about yeast, you know. Because they're
0: already baking.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. They're already baking in their own houses and uh, probably especially during quarantine. Um, But, you know, like they want to ask questions that are a little bit more technical and are best answered and exhibited by somebody who, you know, works with bread every day. And that's their life. So um, one of the challenges, we only have five classes. This fall, normally we have about eight, so it's not terribly less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but master classes, we actually have a little bit more master classes this semester than we normally do because we're doing the virtual classes online, um, and that is more geared to the seven to eleven year olds. So they have more opportunities with the virtual programming that we're doing. So the in person, I'm focusing more on the master classes, um, and then we do have two classes for our 7- to 11-year-olds, and those are um, galaxy cupcakes and cookie decorating, and we're calling that group our Young Chefs.
0: Oh, well, Mm -hmm. so tell me what some of the master classes have been and what you're looking forward to.
1: Yeah, I am really looking. I came to a realization this summer, um, which was actually, it was just perfect. You know, in the time of quarantine, when we're trying to figure out how do we do these, these, how do we cook with these, with a lot of kids? Um, how do we do things that are not maybe as handsy <laughs> where they're all touching the same stuff where they need to be so close? So a lot of the response I got from camp was actually leaning towards food decoration. And we had this group during camp who they used the garden because I had them do a challenge where they use things from our garden, the gumbo garden outside, Um, And they would decorate their plate. And whoever had the prettiest decor would get snacks. So they could use almost anything except for the begonias or whatever, those beautiful big flowers we have. The hibiscus? Hibiscus, sure. Uh Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, then that was just one challenge but then every single day the same group wanted to do it and so they would go out and get things from the garden they would even sneak it during games and just like go over so they could decorate their plate I was like I mean why fight this there's no reason to so why don't we have classes focused on food decoration so um, the first one which is going to be with Uh, Dee and Sarah, and that's going to be making like monsters out of Rice Krispies and pretzels, dipping them in melting chocolates. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds very elementary, but it is so hard to make it look like a monster. Like there's a level of technicality for those things to make it look like a Pinterest board. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, it's taking something that's easy so they can focus on the decoration. Um, And then one of the ones I'm really looking forward to is food photography. And that is going to be totally different. They're going to make a sandwich and they are going to take a picture of it with their camera and have no instruction on it. Just take the best picture possible. And then the next hour is going to be spent talking about how they can improve that with lighting, with cuts, with like, you know, angles, angles, adjustments, things on the background, you know, that blank space. And then they are going to be given some tools to then retake their picture at the very end with that same sandwich and see the improvement, so I'm really excited about that one.
0: Uh, and I think right now, when so many people do take pictures of their food, sure do, <laughs> um, that that's probably a really, really wonderful thing because they're gonna they're gonna do it anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think that with our older kids, what we need to focus on is you know. These kids are watching so much more. Like, I didn't grow up. You didn't grow up with these food shows necessarily. Like, you might have had, like, a Julia Kerr, you know, Julia, Julia Child. Child. Um, I remember when we got our first computer, it came with a bunch of Encarta discs and, like, like all these, like, trial games just for free. Like, CDs or floppies almost. But, yeah, so we put them in. And I remember just watching Julia Child on Encarta, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and so... <laughs> But like it wasn't competition. It wasn't necessarily the decor. So I think that, you know, they are ready to move to a new space with that. But they also are still stuck in a place that you and I might be where here are my options for cooking. I can be a home chef. I can be a chef in a kitchen or I can be a like bakery pastry chef. And there are so many jobs, you know, food writing, food styling, food photography, you know, um, food cookbooks, you know, layouts. And we've talked about that, you know. Well, And
0: you can also write food histories and do all kinds of uh, things that aren't really where you're actually touching the food.
1: Exactly. And I think that, like, kids don't know about that. I didn't know about a lot of those things. You know, I am teacher, I am doctor, I am firefighter. And then you're like, oh no, I am IT and I can do that for each of these different departments, right? Mm -hmm. So knowing that within the food world, there's all of these different occupations that their own passions that they already have can cross connect with their passion for food is important to like even just be exposed to and be able to talk to people who are kind of in those fields, Um, and like, it doesn't need a roadmap of like, how did you do X, Y, Z to get here, but just to hear stories, to actually even try something like our 11 to 15 year olds. I'm so excited because they're dabblers, you know, they're, they're, they're crafting what they're good at dabbling in, but they're still trying to figure it out. And I love that time period. Well, so are
0: the kids sending you um, videos of their own work, their own recipes, essays that they've written or stories or anything like that, is there a way for that to to be shared?
1: Yeah, that is something that we're working on right now. And it's tricky because I think that it sometimes butts against um, against the idea of virtual learning. You know, these kids are, a lot of them, doing virtual learning to some degree. And then to assign any sort of thing... And if they see it as an assignment? Oh no, I'm I'm thinking that they just spontaneously
0: want to participate.
1: Yeah, no, they and and to a point, but I think that you know one of the things I'm trying to figure out is how do we get that information back? Like how do we get those pictures? Because I want to see, I want to see their cranberry pumpkin muffins, you know. And um, so we have them post a picture if they want with the hashtag #sofabkids. Um, and then, and then it will go. And so we can look through them or they can email them directly to me. And then I put them in the newsletter. Um, I think that as school has been going into session, it's kind of been chilling out a little bit since then. Um, but the goal is absolutely to like refocus the eye on how do we get that feedback to like, know, okay, I can do all these things. I can do a virtual class. I can do an in-person class. You know, I can do a lecture, But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the kids aren't responding to it, if they are not getting that feedback, that this is something they need. So that is definitely the next kind of step is how do we get that like post engagement um, response?
0: It would also seem to me that they'd want to share these things with their friends and others and especially having all of this online. You know, when everything was in person, you were really limited geographically, but now you can reach this huge audience and that makes things more difficult in terms of sharing because you're not just right across the street from somebody, but if they can share online.
1: But in a way, that's exactly where we are, right? And what better way to bring people to a virtual table than food? That's right. what has been, you know, for. Any situation that's been that peacemaker, it's been a place of understanding, a place of community. And if your community can't be your next door neighbor, for X, Y, Z reasons, your community can now be someone in Poughkeepsie or, you know, Sacramento, who took this class with you. I have to say that, for me, not growing
0: up with, with social media. Yeah. Um, me either, to be fair. I guess college, but yeah. I mean, it was way after (laughs) I was working before social media even existed. Mm -hmm. The thing that I find um, kind of sterile about social media is that, you know, it's this the perfect picture of the sandwich or whatever. And it would be more fun for me to see a picture of somebody cramming, you know, eating that sandwich and chewing it and having it, you know, drip down their elbows or whatever. And have that be the picture they share instead of this gorgeous sandwich. Because that seems to me to be much more personal and... Um, about the person and not about this thing that they created. Now, not that you don't want to see the perfect sandwich. I would be happy to have the perfect sandwich in one picture and in the next shot, have somebody taking a bite out of it um, as opposed to just the perfect sandwich.
1: Well, I think, I think what you just said is a really good opportunity for growth, right? So I think as a teacher, the the point is the objective is what do I want this child to get from this to earn? And by taking a really good picture of a sandwich is just one step. I don't want any sort of judging as in who gets the best picture Mm -hmm. because then it's everybody striving for perfection and a lot of people don't get it and one person does. And I think that that is something inherently evil um, that we may not have intended, but with social media I also don't think your average 11 to 15 year old is going to put themselves out there in such a bold, confident way, you know, um, as much as we would love to. So there's ways you can work with that where you can say, OK, you've made this the sandwich. Now here is the take home thing. I want you to take a picture, but I want you to somehow put your personality into it. So whether that is putting a book that you're reading next to it or it's a picture of you in Mardi Gras costume, you know, or something like that. There's ways that you can adjust your objectives so that the goal is actually for them to be more authentic. Um, and that just takes planning and timing. But I totally agree. Yeah, it's it's rough. <laughs> it's rough out there.
0: <laughs> so, Jenny, thank you so much For giving me your time so that we could share all of this really fabulous and exciting information about the Kids in the Kitchen program and all of the online things that are available.
1: Yeah, this has been so much fun, and I'm so glad you asked me. Thank you. Thanks for listening
0: to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Please come by when you are in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is